Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Live from New York, I'm Julia Chatterley. This is First Move, and here's your need to know. Trial of terror, more shocking evidence in Trump's impeachment trial... China called President Xi tells President Biden conflict would be a disaster and variants versus vaccines, a stark warning from Germany's Angela Merkel. It's Thursday. Let's make a move. to First Move. Fantastic to have you with us this busy Thursday. Just ahead, the latest on Donald Trump's trial, the jobs market tribulations, and to brighten things up a bit, the timelessness of toys. The CEO of Mattel joins us later to talk growth, digitization, as they race ahead with Hot Wheels and Toy of the Year, Barbie. You might not have guessed that. Now, from Hot Wheels to hot financial markets, the Dow expected to hit a fresh record at the open, fueled by the reflation rotation into sectors like energy and financials, as we've already discussed this week. But the real recovery is slowing. And last week, a further 793,000 people filed for first-time jobless benefits. More than 20 million people are still collecting benefits of some form, and many will lose critical aid in March without a fresh deal. As Mary Daly, president of the San Francisco Fed, told us yesterday, a financial bridge must be built for the most vulnerable. It was a message echoed by the Fed chair, Jerome Powell, yesterday. He said a, quote, society-wide commitment is needed to get back to full employment and to tackle financial inequalities. He also thinks the U.S. unemployment rate, just as a marker, is somewhere near 10 percent, much higher, of course, than the actual headline number, as we've long argued. It's not the only country, though. More help also needed in the Eurozone, too. The EU lowering its 2021 growth projections as lockdowns persist. Officials also warning of a surge in bankruptcies and bad loans that could come when government support ends. The post-COVID future looks both promising but also precarious at the same time. Let's get right to our drivers. Impeachment prosecutors resume their case against former President Donald Trump in a few hours' time after a day when they produced shocking evidence, previously unpublished surveillance video and audio recordings from the riot at the Capitol on January the 6th, as Lauren Fox reports. House prosecutors will finish arguments against former President Donald Trump today after using the second day of the impeachment trial to lay out their case, giving the Senate jurors an unsettling replay of the deadly Capitol insurrection. The evidence will be for you to see and hear and digest. The evidence will show you that ex-President Trump was no innocent bystander. The presentation, including never-before-seen video, providing a new view of the attack from both inside and outside. House prosecutors using security footage, police body cameras, and police radio audio as evidence. 
but this is now effectively a riot. And so they came, draped in Trump's flag, and used our flag, the American flag, to batter and to bludgeon. And at 2.30, I heard that terrifying banging on house chamber doors. Watch the rioters searching the Capitol for former Vice President Mike Pence. This surveillance video showing the moment Secret Service evacuated him down a stairwell. After President Trump had primed his followers for months and inflamed the rally goers that morning, it is no wonder that the Vice President of the United States was the target of their wrath after Pence refused to overturn the election results. Listen to this man explain. Pence lied to us. He's a total treasonous pig. And his name will be mud forever. Now the real battle begins. And another displays a close encounter for Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and his security detail. They came within just yards of rioters and had to turn around. Where are you, Nancy? We're looking for you. The rioters also targeting House Speaker Nancy Pelosi who was evacuated to an off-site location. We know from the rioters themselves that if they had found Speaker Pelosi, they would have killed her. We need Capitol Police, I think, coming to the hallway. They're pounding the doors trying to find her. Her staff barricading themselves within a conference room within her office suite as insurrectionists search for the House Speaker. One of the rioters you can see is throwing his body against the door three times until he breaks open that outer door. Luckily, when faced with the inner door, he moves on. And watch Capitol Police Officer Eugene Goodman approach Senator Mitt Romney in a hallway, telling him to turn around to escape the mob. You know how close you came to the mob. Some of you, I understand, could hear them. But most of the public does not know how close these rioters came to you. Managers blaming Trump for the attack, pointing to some of his words in the months before the riots. It's the only way we can lose, in my opinion, is massive fraud. His false claims about election fraud, that was the drumbeat being used to inspire, instigate, and ignite them, to anger them. Many Republicans saying that while the rioters committed crimes, Trump did not. The not guilty vote is growing after today. I think most Republicans found the presentation by the House managers offensive and absurd. Senate Democrats need 17 Republicans to join them. But for now, only five or six are likely to vote to convict Trump. The evidence that has been presented thus far is pretty damning. I just I don't see how uh, Donald Trump could be reelected. To the presidency again. The House prosecutors also replaying Trump's rally speech on January 6th and slamming the former president for his silence as rioters carried out the attack. Even when President Trump knew what his words were causing, he didn't do any of those things to stop the crowd. In fact, he did the opposite. He fueled the fire. John Harwood joins us now. John, it's tough to remain unmoved. I think impossible, actually, when you watch that video. But what's key here for the prosecution and for Donald Trump's defense is whether you can tie 
what is excruciating behaviour, I think, to, as the banner just read, what the prosecution are trying to say was the inciter in chief here and, and former President Donald Trump. Well, in theory, that's the key for the prosecution. But in reality, uh, Republican senators are so desperate, Julia, to avoid a vote to convict that they will seize on the thinnest of justifications not to do so. It could be um, the trial is unconstitutional, therefore I can't uh, listen and weigh the merits. Or it could be he didn't literally say, I want the uh, uh, members of the uh, riot to stab somebody with a flagpole or gouge somebody's eyes out or kill a police officer. Uh, they, um, uh, because so, a significant chunk of the Republican Party has been radicalized, because they, uh, that radicalization has led them to disconnect to some extent from democratic processes. That's why you had a uh, violent insurrection at the Capitol to overturn the election. That's why Republican senators, apart from the insurrection, uh, and Republican politicians around the country look to restrict the right to vote. They think the political system is moving away from them, uh, and therefore they're going to resist uh, uh, on, in all, under almost all circumstances, voting to convict this president because their careers depend on it and their, the uh, status of their base within the United States depends on it. I mean, what you're saying here is it's the prosecution doesn't matter, the defense doesn't matter, the witnesses don't matter, the jurors don't matter here. It simply comes down to Republicans and their decision in terms of politics. John, whatever we get here, you can't help but look at that. And actually, I listen to myself saying it and think something's fundamentally broken here. Something is fundamentally broken here. The Republican Party is broken right now. Uh, you, you've got a, a party that um, is, um, has a critical mass of people within it uh, who fear the country is moving away from them, and they're determined to protect their uh, place by any means necessary, and these Republican senators uh, are standing with them. Um, whether the Republican senators share that fear or not, they know their careers depend on it, um, and so, as you, as you put it, the, the outcome of this trial doesn't really depend on the quality of the prosecution uh, or the quality of the defense. There may be a small increment of Republican senators capable of being moved. We saw Bill Cassidy, the senator from Louisiana, being moved uh, the other day by the arguments on constitutionality. But we have zero indication that uh, there are uh, anywhere close to the 17 uh, needed to um, convict President, uh, former President Trump, whatever the quality of the evidence. Yeah, and that's it. We'll see what today brings. John Harwood, thank you so much for that. Right, meanwhile, the administration keeps working. President Biden holding his first phone call as commander-in-chief with Chinese President Xi Jinping. President Biden raised concerns over Taiwan, Hong Kong and Xinjiang. President Xi warned that the U.S. should act cautiously, saying those issues are China's internal affairs. David Culver is live in Shanghai with more. David, uh, no surprise, perhaps, that it's been three weeks since uh, President Biden became the president of the United States. He's waited to make this call. He's made calls to plenty of other world leaders. But this perhaps the most pivotal and no surprise, the Chinese response here. That's right, Julia. And you look at the, the calls as they played out. Of course, it was to Britain, to Canada, to Japan. As you mentioned, then three weeks later, it's to China. And it obviously is not an introductory phone call. These two know each other when it was Vice President Biden. Of course, they had many meetings and talks. However, now it's different. It's commander in chief. It's the president, Biden, with President Xi. And it comes after four years 
of what has been the perhaps most strained relations between the U.S. and China. And I look back to how the Trump presidency and the administration with President Trump and President Xi started. And you have to even recall that visit that President Trump had coming here to China, seeming to like the pomp and circumstance. Of course, that was followed by the trade war, the tariffs that were imposed, and a lot of other issues, as you mentioned, namely human rights ones. Now, it was under the Trump administration, more of a focus on the economy and perhaps a bit more on the military. We look now towards the Biden administration, and it's very possible that the focus is going to be heavily put on human rights issues. One of them that you mentioned in Xinjiang, the far western region of China, where you have widespread allegations of of human rights abuses towards the Uyghur ethnic minority, the Muslims. And that is something that President Biden brought up in this phone call. And he also brought up the crackdown on the pro-democracy protest in Hong Kong, and of course, the rising tensions surrounding Taiwan. All of those are responded with a lot of sensitivity from China's part. President Xi, according to the state broadcasters, ECTV and Xinhua, saying that that's China's business. Those are domestic affairs. Those are internal issues. And Julia, we've heard that over and over. And so that's continuing now into this new administration. It remains to be seen, though, what exactly action-wise the Biden administration will take towards any of those issues, particularly human rights here. Yeah, I think the uh, the message there is pretty clear in English or uh, American, but out, quite frankly, um, from the Chinese side. Um, it was interesting right. to see some of the comments that were made by a senior administration official saying, look, we found merit in the basic proposition of an intense strategic competition with China and the need to engage on this. But we found deep problems with the way in which the Trump administration went about that competition, which I think is clear from many angles here, David. What about as far as trade goes? Because the message seemed to be from the Biden administration, nothing will change, at least in the short term. Something you and I have been talking about a Mm. lot. I mean, you go back January of last year, of 2020, that's when that phase one of the trade deal was signed. It was January 14th, 15th, depending on the time zone you were in. And shortly thereafter, of course, the outbreak. So COVID changed everything. But it does seem as though the Biden administration is going to keep these tariffs in place. But it's not only the tariffs we're talking about, Julia. As you well know, we're also talking about the intense pressure that's been put on Chinese companies, everything from Huawei to Schmick to Sinuk. So those are, as of now, going to stay in place. The Biden administration and President Biden himself seeming to not want to praise the Trump administration for putting those in place, but as you mentioned, not rolling them back just yet. And it's interesting because you look at the strategy here and something you and I have looked at over the past several months, and that is that perhaps this has not put the Biden administration in a corner so much as given them leverage now to deal with China. Yes, David Cover, as always, fantastic to have you on the show. Thank you. David Colbert there. Thanks, Julia. All right. So let me bring up speed now with some of the other stories and making headlines around the world. Myanmar's military ruler urging people to get off the streets and get back to work. Doctors, teachers, railway employees and many others have joined growing demonstrations against the coup that toppled Aung San Suu Kyi's government. Protesters turned out for a sixth straight day on Thursday. The president of the Tokyo Olympics organizing committee is set to resign on Friday, according to Japanese media, after he made sexist remarks. At a board meeting last week, Kushira Mori suggested that women talk too much. The organizing committee isn't commenting on the reports. All right, still to come here on First Move, Serbia's vaccine variety. The country offers citizens a choice of vaccines as it races ahead on rollout. We've got the prime minister talking us through their schemes and plans. And 
The big business of child's play, Mattel, sees sales surge as parents seek COVID secure ways to entertain their kids. The CEO joins us later this hour. Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move, live from New York, where U.S. stocks look set to rise to fresh record stimulus hopes of setting distressing new jobless numbers. Almost 800,000 people filing for first-time benefits last week. PepsiCo is higher pre-market after a profit and revenue beat. It's hiking its dividend by 5% too and sounding optimistic on 2021. Suddenly, uh, corporates feeling positive enough to give guidance. Pepsi and Coke have been laggards so far this year, perhaps on fears that entertainment venues might take longer than expected to fully reopen. Vaccine makers are more than doing their part, though. AstraZeneca is saying today it hopes to ramp up production to more than 200 million doses per month by April of this year. Not to be outdone, Merck says it's discussing ways to produce other firms' vaccines after dropping plans to develop their own. Teva Pharmaceuticals says it could co-produce vaccines too. All good news. Let's turn now to vaccine rollouts, delays and supply shortages have hit nations worldwide. But one nation, Serbia, is well and truly racing ahead. It now has the highest vaccination rate in Europe after the UK, and citizens can even choose between three different vaccines. And I'm pleased to say joining us now, Anna Bernabis. She's the Prime Minister of Serbia. Prime Minister, fantastic to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for the invitation. It's great Great. to be uh, with you, at least online. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Congratulations, as I mentioned, on your vaccine rollout. Just begin by explaining the moment you decided not to wait around, to wait for help, simply to go it alone and talk to not only the U.S. vaccine makers, but also China and Russia, too. Well, I have to say that very, very early on, um, we have uh, in Serbia made the decision uh, to treat, obviously, the vaccine uh, procurement as uh, key priority for our country. And uh, it it was an effort actually led by the president of the Republic of Serbia, Aleksandar Vucic, uh, with with the support uh, from myself as the prime minister and the entire government, actually. And uh, we decided to go directly into negotiations with uh, different producers, not treating this as geopolitical issue, but treating it uh, as what it is, and that's a healthcare issue. And, and, and try to get the vaccines uh, as soon as possible to Serbia, uh, which is why we were actually one of the first countries uh, in the world to sign contract with, with Pfizer. And we were the second country in Europe to get Pfizer vaccines uh, uh, delivered uh, already in mid-December after the UK. But we were also one of the first countries to sign a contract with Chinese Sinopharm and uh, the first country to actually receive Sinopharm vaccines uh, and start a mass immunization campaign. So we treated, uh, decided to treat it completely as a key priority for our country and our citizens. Um, and the second and the second part of that success story, I think, is uh, digitization. We've uh, mm. placed digitization mm. of all of our public services as uh, as kind of key priority uh, in the government's work about four years ago, which helped us uh, very quickly have a very, I would say, clever information system based on the artificial intelligence 
which make the makes the whole process very easy for citizens, very transparent, uh, and for us, easy to manage. I mean, there's so much in there. And I'll come back to your second point, which I agree is a critical factor here. And we've seen that around the world, which is digitization and making this simple and providing access. But I want to get back to the first point that you made. And you said we chose to see this not as a geopolitical issue, but as a, a health issue. And I just want to explore that a little bit. There will be people that look at this for a couple of reasons and say this is a geopolitical issue when you're talking about perhaps getting favours, doing deals with nations like Russia or China, particularly as an EU accession country. How do you see that? How do you view that? Well, again, I, I, I don't want to even participate in those conversations. I really believe that vaccination is, is a number one uh, uh, issue for uh, people around the globe right now. And it's, a, it's an issue... Of, of saving lives. It's, it has nothing to do with politics or, or geopolitics. Uh, and uh, again, I mean, as an EU uh, accession country, our strategic focus is to become the EU uh, member. I would say that, you know, we participated in all of the EU efforts to uh, get the vaccine uh, and, 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 and uh, develop the vaccine. So as a, as a small country, we have donated 2.1 million euros uh, through European Commission for the development of the of the vaccine for the benefit of all of all of us, um, we are also part of the World Health Organization Covax uh, mechanism. But we thought that it would be prudent that we start negotiations with all other producers. As, and as I said, you know, we are the first country to get the first vaccines to 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 arrive to Serbia were Pfizer vaccines, uh, but the mm -hmm. You know, uh, in our view, uh, Sinopharm uh, uh, vaccines, Chinese vaccines, and Sputnik Russian vaccines um, are, you know, they're safe, they're they're effective, and that that is the only thing that matters to us. And by the end of this month, uh, we are going to have a uh, to get the first batch of AstraZeneca vaccines as well. So we are doing whatever we can to make sure that our people are immunized uh, as soon as possible and that we are safe and that and that the economy and the life goes back to normal uh, as soon as possible. Uh, as we all do. So um, just on, just on your point, though, about about the EU, um, are you relieved in some way? And it's a strange choice of words, but relieved that actually you weren't already in the EU, because it is fascinating that both you and the UK actually are managing to do this far quickly, simply because you negotiated alone rather than collectively as the EU did, and have obviously struggled. I, uh, I, can't, I can't really say that. I mean, you know, there are many, many benefits that EU member uh, countries have that, that we unfortunately do not have, including, you know, the, the, the um, budget support, the financial support for the recovery after uh, COVID-19. So, uh, you know, I, I, at this particular point in time, I just think that everyone needed to have a little bit of a different approach and not, not just the EU, I think, the worldwide. I think uh, what was supposed to happen is that, uh, you know, the, that multilateralism uh, was supposed to kick in. Uh, everyone say what their priority needs are. Uh, see the, you know, we all sit down and see where are the production facilities and what do we all need to do in order to support the, the, the production and increase the capacities of those productions. So, again, 
you know, I think uh, I think the I think at the end of the day, the EU will do uh, uh, good. Uh, and, you know, I, perhaps it was a late start, but I'm sure that, uh, you know, it will it will uh, come out stronger. You know, what's quite fascinating, and you mentioned it, that the platform that you've produced allows people to choose which vaccine they're getting. You also said, look, they're safe. All of them are safe in our view. People can can effectively get what they choose. And I know different members of your your government took the different vaccines to to make that point. What are you seeing from the Serbian people? Are they specifically going for one vaccine or another, or are they simply just grateful to get a vaccine as soon as possible? The greatest majority of people is, uh, is uh, basically saying that they would... Uh, they are applying for vaccines, whatever vaccine we have. And obviously all of them need to be safe and that, that you know, we are following very closely the registration process of those vaccines in their uh, home countries, but also throughout the world, including the World Health Organization or EU. Uh, so, you know, we... Uh, we were our our own local agency was uh, registered uh, Pfizer a day after uh, FDA uh, registered uh, the, in in the U.S. Uh, or a couple of days before I think EU registered uh, Pfizer. Mm-hmm. So we are we are closely following the you know we are we are trying to be you know uh, very 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 safe you know have uh, kind of. Uh, almost double or triple standard. So we are waiting for someone to go ahead and register the vaccine first. Then we also, in parallel, look at uh, look at the uh, the paperwork and the, and the samples, and and uh, and we register it ourselves. So our citizens know that it's safe, and predominantly they they are applying to get any of the vaccine that is currently available. Um, Chinese Sinopharm vaccine right now is is also very, very popular, but that's also due to the fact that we have the most of the Chinese vaccines. We, we uh, last night I, I uh, um, was uh, waiting for, for a plane with 500,000 Chinese vaccines, but it depends. I mean, Sputnik, Pfizer, uh, you know, different people select different options. And as I said, soon enough, we'll have AstraZeneca as well. So um, um, you know, it's it's what's important is that they get vaccinated and and not which vaccine they use. Yeah, and you've moved incredibly swiftly. I was just looking at your current situation with COVID, and I just want to get your sense very quickly because I looked down your restrictions and they're a lot less restrictive actually than many other nations. And yet you've managed to keep your your COVID cases on a relative basis per proportion of the population pretty much the same as the EU and, and the United States. How are you achieving that? To be perfectly honest, I don't know. I mean, you know, we are we are trying very hard to uh, carefully balance between uh, the economy, but also the, you know, the, the, the psychology of, of the people, of the citizens that are that had enough of the of the restrictions. Um, but also balance it with, you know, with the uh, uh, with the um, uh, health measures, and uh, and so thus far we are we are uh, succeeding. I think uh, people are quite disciplined. Um, I think uh, also the uh, employers um, uh, and the um, you know restaurants, coffee shops, and and and, and cafes and bars are trying uh, very hard to do their bit because they are they appreciate the fact that they can that they can work you know they have uh, perhaps uh, you know more restrictive hours of working but they still work so they 
they they're helping us um, uh, with with those measures and and uh, I think that's that's providing uh, results but again from the very very early on I mean firstly we had some of the most restrictive measures in the world and November was clearly a torrid time and we saw that on the chart too and yeah. from then on, we are really yeah. just trying very, very hard to balance uh, uh, work and life with the health measures and, uh, you know, d- discussing this on not on a daily basis, but on an hourly basis, I would say, you know. Uh, I have to stop you there because I have to take a break, but I can't tell you how refreshing it is to hear a prime minister say, I don't know, and we're taking it day by day and we're just going to work on it. <laughs> prime Minister, fantastic Thank to chat to you. Thank you so much. Come back and talk to us soon. And congratulations again, the Prime Minister of Serbia. Thank Thank you. Welcome back to First Move. U.S. stocks are open for trade and are in the green. There's lots to watch today, including Disney after the closing bow. Shares, in fact, up more than 7% this week, close to record highs in anticipation of good numbers. And, of course, the Disney Plus streaming service. Can't forget crypto, though, also in the cumulus. Bitcoin near record highs on news that more established firms are embracing digital currencies. You can see up near 6%. BNY Mellon, the oldest U.S. bank, announcing today it will offer Bitcoin services to its asset management clients. It says digital assets have now become part of the mainstream. Alicia Levine said as much earlier this week to MasterCard, announcing yesterday that it will allow its merchants to accept payments in crypto soon too. Wow, there's a lot of change in the space of a few short weeks. Back to earth a little bit, though, with Uber. It shares lower after reporting an almost $7 billion loss for 2020. It's narrower than the previous year, though. They're focusing on the money makers like food delivery, selling off other businesses like the flying taxis. The delivery business, in fact, now almost as big as its ride-hailing part of the business. To toys now and those that we all grew up with. These are the Mattel powerhouse brands like Barbie, Hot Wheels, racing cars and Fisher-Price early learning toys. Now add in film and television content like Courtney, an American Girl movie, as well as digital offerings, gaming and music. And you can see why Mattel delivered a smash hit fourth quarter. A lot of stay-at-home parents are buying toys to keep their kids busy, helping Barbie to keep her crown as the top toy in the world. Enon Chris is the CEO of Mattel, and he joins us now. And I'm not joking, Hot Wheels, and great to have you with us, Enon, was a real hit. Barbie, toy of the year. Now, some people might not believe that, but it's true. Enon, can you hear me? Oh, and there I was getting all excited. We seem to be having a few technical issues there. We're going to take a quick break and see if we can get him back up, because as you can see, I'm revved up to have this conversation. (laughs) Stay with us. We're going to try and get him back. Welcome back to First Move. No more playing around. Fingers crossed. Enon Chris is the CEO of Mattel, and he joins me now. Enon, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Hi, Julia. Fantastic. Great. Great to have you with us. Just before the break, I was doing an introduction, talking about your earnings, talking about Hot Wheels and Barbie and the fact that that was the toy of the year in 2020. A lot of people staying at home and finding ways to entertain their children in more traditional ways. Talk us through it. Well, 
this was an outstanding quarter for the company with our best performance in years, with strong demand by consumers and another milestone year for Mattel. For the second consecutive quarter, we achieved double-digit sales increase and uh, achieved the highest uh, f- fourth quarter growth in 15 years. This was a very large performance in profitability with full-year operating income that was two and a half times higher than last year. But this is not just about the quarter or the year. It's about a multi-year strategy that is progressing very well, which puts us in an excellent position to continue to increase profitability and accelerate growth this year and beyond. I mean, you've got all sorts of things going on. And to your point, this is part of a broader transformation, a, a shift to digitization. You recognize that online would have to play a pivotal role. And I was, I was just looking at the numbers. I think online sales now are more than a third of all global sales. That's right. We perform wow. very strongly in our online uh, retail and e-commerce, uh, continue to maintain our momentum. E-commerce grew in the fourth quarter by over 40% and for the full year by over 50%. And as you said, it now represents over a third of our global, uh, global retail sales. We actually ended, ended up being the number one manufacturer in e-commerce in the U.S. in the fourth quarter and grew our e-commerce share in the U.S. in the fourth quarter and the full year. So very strong performance there. Do you think you can sustain that? We're very confident about our momentum. If you look at what we've achieved over the last uh, three years, you're seeing consistent delivery of our strategy. We achieved growth for the second year in a row. Our EBITDA uh, increased by $600 million in three years. Our gross margin improved for 10 consecutive quarters of a total of more than 100 than, uh, 1,100 basis points in three years. So very strong, consistent performance, consistent execution of our strategy. And we believe we're going to accelerate our momentum. Uh, and continue to grow um, in, at a large scale. I mean, you've got, as I said, a lot going on. You're, you're taking some of the very familiar brands, Uno, I remember playing it growing up and digitizing it. But your background also in TV media and you're taking some of those brands that everybody recognizes and promoting movies, putting them on TV. I believe you've got up to 50 different sort of TV visual projects going on as well. This is part of expanding and transforming the brands too. Exactly. We, we own one of the strongest catalogs of children and family entertainment franchises in the world. And we have a tremendous opportunity to take our brands and extend them beyond the toy aisles. So we announced 11 uh, motion picture projects already. We have, more than, uh, we have 17 television shows in production and more than 25 projects in development. Uh, we recently announced the UNO film. Uh, there's an UNO uh, game show a whack-a-mole game show that we recently announced, and we continue to expand our library in these new verticals. And this is a very exciting opportunity. It's part of our mid to long-term strategy, but it's already tracking well and gaining a lot of momentum. Yeah, you're a future forward CEO. And in that vein, I'm going to be asking every CEO this because we're spending an extraordinary amount of time talking about um, digital currencies. Any plans at Mattel to take some of the cash on the balance sheet and invest in digital assets like Bitcoin? Do you have a view on this, sir? And I'm smiling as I say it. Well, we, we have a lot of opportunity to invest in our own operations, our own brands. And this is what we do. This is the journey we're on. If you look at our performance and how we continue to outpace the industry, 
um, both in the in the third quarter, in the fourth quarter, and the full year. This is driven by our own assets, our own brands that are still we believe still at an early stage of how far they can go. So we have uh, a lot of opportunities for internal investment. Yes, your own business is strong enough that you don't need to diversify at this stage. I think that's the message. That's right. You know, we, <laughs> yes. yeah, still a lot Great. of momentum, a lot of momentum ahead of us. Congratulations on the results. Uh, come back and speak to us soon. Enon Chris, the CEO of Mattel there. So thank you. All right, we're back after this. Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move. When 20-year-old student Alex Kearns wrongly believed he owed nearly three quarters of a million dollars on the Robinhood trading app, he tried to contact them. And when he was unable to get support, he committed suicide. His parents are now suing Robinhood, claiming it lures investors to take big risks without guidance. Matt Egan talked to them about their experience. Is there any doubt in your mind that Robin Hood is to blame for your son taking his own life? What we feel is that if he had been able to get a hold of somebody, that he would be alive today. He had no training, he had no income, he had no qualifications to make those sophisticated trades. And can you take us through what happened? As best we can put together, he was trading a put spread. And uh, he got assigned. And uh, that assignment uh, apparently, uh, well, it, it triggered a, a margin call uh, email that he got at three in the morning uh, for $178,000. As far as the screen goes, uh, I have no idea how they show a minus 730 cash balance. Um, I think that's just a user interface error uh, that Robinhood has admitted to. So he didn't actually owe $730,000. No. no, he did not. So he tried to reach out to Robinhood. Did he have any success? No, he did not. He did try three times. Not much is different now, but their, their model at the time was exclusively email. He just got canned responses back. Robinhood has made a series of steps to try to improve its platform, including providing guidance to options customers, um, updating how it displays buying power, and providing more voice support for its customers. What is your reaction to those changes? I think those are all great, um, but it doesn't take anything to just begin trading options right from the get-go. So where are the guardrails, I guess, is my answer back to that. And where is the phone support? Those are two crucial items that I think they need. Some might argue that your son was ultimately responsible for the investment decisions he made, not the app. What do you say to those people? I, I think it would be different if um, if you made the investment decisions and he lost a lot of money based on those decisions and he took his life, it would still be tragic. We would not be here today doing that interview because that would have been his fault. I don't think the decisions that he has made really were poor choices. Um, the outcome was poor, but I think if he would have gotten a response from Robin Hood or if there was any type of disclaimer on that screen, it wouldn't have been a problem. In a suicide note, he cited this as the reason for what he was doing. He also said he didn't want to die. He made that perfectly clear and uh, expressed his regret for having to do what he uh, ultimately did. Um, it's almost like he martyred himself just to save us from what he thought would be uh, a, uh, a huge financial burden, which of course isn't the case. A 
Matt joins us now. Matt, it's heartbreaking whichever way you look at this, and we, we can't take away from that. You asked some very important questions there. You can democratise access to finance, but the education is key too, and it's where the responsibility lies from these platforms versus as an individual to, to know what you're doing when you're trading complex tools. Yeah, Julia, this tragedy really does put a a human face on some of the potential dangers of this free trading boom that Robinhood has helped set off. Uh, You know, to your point, their goal, Robinhood's goal uh, is a noble one. They want to democratize investing. And when you think about the inequality problems uh, that the world faces right now, when you think about how many people missed out on the last bull market, uh, that is a good thing. Uh, But there are risks here. I mean, they've made it cheap and easy to use sophisticated financial instruments like options, which is what Alex Kearns uh, was using. And the family's lawsuit argues that Robinhood has not provided the necessary customer support nor education that is needed to support these novice investors. I mean, they, they say that Robinhood designed its app to look like a video game, and that's a way to lure younger users and to minimize real world risk. Now, to be fair, Robinhood has made uh, some real changes since this tragedy happened in June. Um, They've stepped up the requirements for um, how much experience investors need. They've stepped up education as well. Um, But uh, you know, Alex Kearns' dad, um, he tweeted, Dan Kearns tweeted out this morning that um, he really wants to draw attention to what he sees as operational issues around Robinhood, he said, quote, we hope to make a difference and be a change agent. So, Julia, let's hope that this tragedy is a wake up call to uh, investors, to the brokerage industry at large and, of course, the regulators. I couldn't agree more. Couldn't have said it better, Matt. I absolutely agree. And we'll watch this very closely. And, of course, irrespective of the outcome of that, our hearts are with um, his family, his parents there. Good job, Matt Egan. Thank you for shedding light on that. All right, a strong new warning over coronavirus mutations variants. German Chancellor Angela Merkel saying the newly emerging variants risk wiping out, quote, the successes achieved by vaccination. Cyril Vanier joins us live with more. Cyril, you see this and you immediately sit up and, and listen in. What more did Angela Merkel say and what did she mean specifically? Well, the German Chancellor is very worried, uh, Julia, because... As she put it, Germany, like many other European nations, is fighting three aggressive mutations of the virus, by which she undoubtedly means the uh, variants first identified in the UK, in South Africa, and in Brazil. Now, on the one hand, you actually look at uh, Germany's COVID numbers at the moment, and they're good. Uh, They have about 10,000 infections a day or less, which is down from 20 to 30,000 they had uh, at the beginning of the year. So the partial but strict uh, national lockdown that they've been under since mid-December has worked. It has already been extended multiple times, and it was extended again yesterday until at least March 7th. On the one hand, you look at those numbers and you think, well, Germany's situation is good. On the other hand, uh, Angela Merkel is warning we have this new threat, these new variants that are spreading, with experts warning that they may become the dominant variants uh, before long. And we know that these are more transmissible uh, than the previous iterations of COVID. So what the German chancellor does not want to do is lift the restrictions too soon so that all the efforts that the Germans have put in since mid-December, where they saw all non-essential businesses closed, 
so that all those efforts have been in vain. That is the situation uh, Angela Merkel was explaining in her speech. She wants to avoid Julia. And what about the restrictions very quickly, Cyril? Because I know she wanted to maintain those restrictions and has long been pushing for tighter mm. ones. How will it play out? Well, there's a back and forth between her and the regional governments because Germany is a federal state. So one of the major issues with schools, um, we understand Angela Merkel would have liked to see those stay closed, but actually it's going to be a local decision from the regional governments. And they will start reopening uh, region by region uh, starting February 22nd. Uh, and then reopenings, well, from March 7th, if and when this national lockdown actually ends on that day and is not uh, extended once again, uh, then retail will be open to, uh, will be able to reopen gradually, as will museums. It's all going to be very gradual. It's all going to depend on the prevalence of the virus. The government mm -hmm. wants to get it at less than 50,000, I beg your pardon, let me get this right, 50 cases per 100,000 inhabitants, Julia. Yeah, and they have brought it right down, but it's just that little extra to go and people just have to hang on in there. Mm. Sarah Vanya, great to have you with us. Thank you for that. All right, that's it for the show. I'm Julia Chesley. Stay safe as always. Connect the World is up next with an interview with the Irish Prime Minister, the Taoiseach, Michal Martin. Stay with us. Don't move a muscle. That's up next. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.